Today's Alumni Voices podcast. I'm your host, Josh Van Camben, and today we're going to be talking about how the post COVID future will be different, predictions about the future of work to help your mood and your sanity. And I'd like to welcome Dr. James Kelly and Vanessa Vershaw to the podcast. And we'll start with you. James Kelly got a PhD from UWA, is the CEO and co founder of Q Change, and is the international author of The Crucible's Gift Five Lessons from Authentic Leaders Who Thrive in Adversity. James has spent the last 15 plus years working in consulting, marketing, and higher education with a cross-section of leaders and organizations. James is highly sought after speaker on the topics of leadership and corporate well-being, appearing on over 50 of the top podcasts on leadership, personal development, and startups. Dr. James, welcome to the podcast. Mr. Van Camp, I am honored, and it's a super big pleasure to be here to talk about this topic, which is really necessary. So thank you. Beautiful. And the other person on the line is Vanessa Virtual. So Vanessa is the CEO of Reinvention Organization, leadership consulting, an Australian business psychologist, Harvard Business School coach, entrepreneur, journalist, and former executive with over 18 years of extensive international organizational development and leadership consulting experience. Vanessa, welcome to the podcast. Hey, nice to nice to be on the show, Josh. And hey, Big J, nice to be on with you and, and share the stage this afternoon. Now, if you're referring to Big J as a weight gain that I've had since I've been stuck at home because of COVID, I don't really appreciate that comment. But otherwise, thank you for the compliments. <laughs> oh, as you can see, isolation is uh, clearly affecting everybody here. And isolation is a primary factor in depression, anxiety, and other significant mental health issues. And the need for physical and social distancing has only exasperated this struggle. Vanessa, will we see more organizations and leaders place a greater importance and find more ways to support employees? Look, absolutely. It's so interesting that when situations like this happen, and whether it be a pandemic, which is obviously very unique, or situations around, you know, extraordinary change, the psychological impact is often the piece that is not spoken about yet. That is the piece that leaders need to be focusing on in reintegrating workers back into the workplace if they do come back um, and looking at what is the support and care they're going to have to provide their workforce in getting back to a, an altered sense of normal. I, I read this article this morning which really um, shook me at my foundation was talking about the fact that this old man in New Zealand died from a panic attack because he hadn't seen his family and it had created extraordinary anxiety. And, you know, when you put that into perspective, what else haven't we thought about? So I think, you know, really um, helping organisations and leaders figure out what are the things that we need to focus on from a mental health and a psychological perspective as a first instance to bring people back or from the, to come back successfully from COVID before we move them to productivity and business as usual, which I, I think is unrealistic. Is it unrealistic for you as well, James? Well, I think, you know, I wrote down a, a word that Vanessa said that I think is the, the key word, should, right? Organizations should care. I think there will be a number of organizations that will try to get to business as usual as fast fast as possible. And I think that's, that's the scary thing about this is that, you know, I think we, you know, Vanessa and I are very idyllic about what we think organizations should be like. 
But the reality is, is that the ones that get it will create the psychological safety as fast as possible, right? They'll set up mechanisms to keep the safe distances. They'll set up mechanisms for counseling. But I do think there's going to be a large chunk of organizations that just think about the bottom line or the next quarter. And that's my concern mm -hmm. from an organizational standpoint or those that are worried about the bottom line. And this might be the Fortune 500 all the way down to the mom pastor who are just trying to survive. And that's a concern that I have. I do think the idea of depression and anxiety, I, I mean, if I didn't have a family and I feel bad for our friends who are single by themselves, this is a lonely time. Uh, how does that impact their daily work? How does that impact them when they go back to the organization? So I think, you know, overall, this question about, about depression and anxiety is real. And my hope is that organizations on the greater whole are proactive at creating an environment that feels safe, but connecting at the same time. Uh, do you have any recommendations or top tips on how people should be staying connected? Because like we're doing this via Zoom, uh, everyone's kind of getting used to this virtual connections now. Is there any recommendations, tips that you want to give people to stay connected through a time like this? So I think the top thing you can do is schedule dates, schedule coffee meetings, you know, schedule uh, whiskey night meetings, schedule, but be, be proactive at seeking the connection. You know, as human beings, we need that physical connection. I think that's one of our innate qualities as humans. It's just, we need it. But I think we, in lieu of the fact we cannot do it, I think being proactive and scheduling that, seeking out mentors in the moment right now to ask how I might be more productive, how I might be more focused on certain activities, how I might advance my career, you know, in these times like that. Those are just a couple. Vanessa, I'd love to hear your take on this as well. Oh, look, absolutely. I think um, staying connected also through, to your point, being, being proactive around seeking out human interaction. And from the flip side, you know, not everybody is hardwired like that. There's a lot of people when they're going through times like this, you tend to go into the bunker. So if you know people that are more likely kind of to keep to themselves and go into the bunker, that might actually be prone to depression or sadness yeah. or mental illness go after them like be proactive in actually caring for those that you know uh may not necessarily respond uh, in the most mm -hmm. in the most healthy way so i think it i think it kind of works both ways it's not just about you but it's also about how you sure. help others during this time and and being mindful of that and i think also in terms of connection um it's also about connecting to yourself you know, I yeah. think this has been an incredible time for all of us to pause and think about our life and the meaning of it and the ways in which we, we contribute and be and what we bring to the table. So a lot of people that I'm working with at the moment are actually spending time kind of um, rewiring themselves, doing stuff that they have put on the back burner, uh, building new relationships with perhaps people that they've lost touch with, and also from a business perspective, potentially rebranding, working on that creative project, building that keynote, writing a book. So really focusing on also all of those creative pursuits of great value, uh, which requires a lot of introspection and time that they didn't have previously um, so that they can come to the party, you know, post COVID and you and refreshed them with something additional to offer and contribute. 
And so I think there's those kinds of things that I'd be thinking about. How can you make best use of this time, not, if, not only for yourself, but for others? Yeah, I was going to dovetail on that. I think that, that if you're starting to feel isolated, that is probably a cue that you should reach out and do try to help somebody. Because often when you're helping someone else, it actually is helping yourself more. And so that could be a real self cue if you have that self-awareness to say, I feel isolated. What can I do to help somebody? Because I think once you do that, you're actually are helping yourself at the exact same time. Uh, and that's, that could be a nice little signal inside your head. I agree with you, James. You know, being, sometimes being selfless can be the best way to be selfish, right? Correct, and, correct. And I think about the psychological implications and all the work that's been done on people who give or who mm -hmm. over-contribute during times when they're feeling down. And, you know, the neuroscience is really leading in this and the fact that it can actually cognitively trip up your neural hardwiring to move you into a much more positive state of mind and boost that mojo in an instant. Correct, yeah. Now, I'm eager to talk about leadership and that's something that you, you're both passionate about and, James, you've written book about it so throughout a crisis leadership is more important than ever you're both involved in q change uh james can you give us some insight into what q change is and how is q change developing leaders of the future and and will leadership improve post-covid we are what we call a leader experience company and so we make leadership development at a low cost high scale uh, product if you will and so what what we do is that we nudge leaders to act and work on particular behaviors they want to focus on. But more importantly, we measure that and give insights all in real time around the meeting. So that's important for a couple of things. You know, one, from a leader perspective, quite often leaders are on the go. They, they forget what they need to work on. Uh, they're not necessarily always proactive in that area, but, but also they're never really given the opportunity to give feedback in real time, which is one of the key outcomes of our tool is getting real time feedback from your team. And so this allows a leader to develop quickly. Now, from a COVID standpoint, our product is actually really well suited for that because it works virtually or in the office setting because it's based on a calendar. So, for example, one of our areas that we focus on, which you would be expected, is authenticity because I wrote a book on that. And so um, if, for example, a leader is trying to work on their relationships, well, that's an area that we nudge them to practice during meetings and then get assessed if they're actually doing that in real time. You can do that in a virtual meeting to become more present. Mm -hmm. for, the, for the conversation around COVID and post-COVID leadership, whew, I don't know. Like I find this, I'm torn both ways. I think human beings, change is difficult. I think when change is forced upon you like this, you have two choices. You either go with it and permanently change or it's like a rubber band and you're gonna come back to where you were most comfortable before. And I, I think like everything, some people will adapt and be agile and some are gonna go back to what they know best and what's most comfortable. And you know, again, my hope is that there's more compassion instilled, there's more patience, there's more, there's more ability to connect with people about what really matters, not necessarily the bottom line. I know that's relevant, but human beings should be first. Everything else will come next, will be excellent after that so the you've been talking with a lot of leaders in, in your role have you already been talking to them about how leadership will improve post-covid yeah look i think um improve, you can tell i'm the skeptic by the way so. <laughs> <laughs> i think improve is an interesting word i think that um what i'd say is 
this moment in time showcase separates the wheat from the chaff. That's the first thing I'll say. Mm. And it showcases uh, what's important. What's important not only to survive, but to thrive. Dare I use that language? It is about thriving now. It's not just about surviving. And in order to do that, the current experience is showcasing to leaders from my perspective, the requirement to be able to have rapid change and acceleration in our ability to adapt to changing weather conditions, whatever they may be. And in order to do that, the person who, or the leader who can successfully adapt has to be able to quickly break through the blockers and mind traps and old habits that are holding them back, that are the enemies of adaptability to be able to step into the future as it emerges and evolve and transcend uh, the context that surrounds them. And that's what I love about, that's what I love the upswing about the situation that we find ourselves in. It is putting pressure on and shining the spotlight on the need to be adaptive. And I love that because I hate the term um, change manager, management. I don't think we, we can manage change. I think we have to take a, almost a biological view of how we move with change and how we change our coats like the chameleon. And so I think it's important that it is showcasing the need for that, that skill and ability, which is so challenging for people because it requires complete mental transcendence. It requires complete mental shift to becoming truly mentally agile, dare I use that word, which is the heavy lifting of transformation. It's not about the what you do, it's about the way you think and the way you show up and the way you be. And that's why it's so bloody hard for people. But this is where we need to go and this is where we need to be. So I'm really excited to see where people land in terms of that realisation and how quickly they focus on disrupting themselves to actually become adaptive creatures. Uh, so that's an interesting one that I'm, I'm watching with great curiosity and trepidation at the same time. So, so yeah, Vanessa, so I, I feel like you, you said the same thing in some ways I did, but the optimistic point of view. So like, I, I, I agree with you that, that, that all the things you said is absolutely true. I just worry, and this would be a fun little debate. I just worry that human beings on the whole, not the minority, but the majority struggle post this event from the standpoint of, of um, let me put it this way. I think my rubber band example is a really good rubber band. We can all be stretched so far. And some of us, if you stretch a rubber band, let's say you keep your hand on the left, don't move it and you pull your hand to the right. Some of us will stay to the right because we'll let go of the left, right? And the rubber band will snap to the agile, improved growth. But some of us will just go back to the left. And I worry about those going back to the left because what's driving them may not be the correct thing. And, and I guess my question for you back is, how do you recommend, if you're the leader that's moving to the right, like you're becoming agile, you, you take on this transformation, you see the opportunity, how do you then pull those who are in the left to the right to, to, to embrace this challenge once we're back in the normal environment, whenever that is? You know, I want to answer that because I think that that's, that's the question, right? Yeah. And I, I go back to the belief that I always have when I'm working in culture transformation and, and like large scale, which is what 
this is all, you know, um, from, a, from a systemic viewpoint. And you have to, I, I don't think you can look at it as like a blanket leadership style or blanket experience. From my perspective, the way to do it is to introduce incremental changes and meet people where they are. It's going to take a lot more one-on-one -on -one, uh, work then team and then um, to create that that systemic shift to where we need organizations to be and that's why it's it's the heavy lifting i keep going do you think they have the energy to do that though like, do you think they've, the got they've got to if yeah. they want to prevent people getting stuck mm. at that at that bridge which is in between you know fear and worry and anxiety and you know chicken being chicken little to move into productivity and optimism and, and accelerated uh, contribution. If people are stuck, they have to take the time to really make people the number one priority. And look, a lot of people talk about it, but you know, in fact, that's not the case. Really make your, your leadership remit about making people awesome and focusing on your people to get them to where you need them to be. And I'll never forget working with a mining organisation a few years ago, and I won't say who, and they just laid off half of the workforce. And the, um, the vice or the president of operations at that time saying to me, V, I need you to get the mine to full productivity as, as quickly as possible. Can you just get them to talk about um, what we're doing to help them get through this? And I said, whoa, you can't move someone from A to Z you actually have to move them through the stages of development and the stages of, of the grief cycle almost to be able to get them to move into a mode where they're ready for performance. You can't go from A to Z so fast. You've got to actually take the time to move people's emotional and mental dial through the, through the grief cycle or that, or that curve to be able to get them to where you need them to be. And that's gonna take very concentrated effort, which is why I go back to my first point around, if you really want to get the car moving, you have to actually take, take the time to focus on the psychological health and wellbeing and state of your people first, yeah. before you move straight to bottom line performance. Because you know what, they're not gonna give you anything if they're in, if they're in stuck mode. You're gonna, you're gonna really be screwed. Well, and I, and I think, you know, one of the things that organizations I think have to realize, and we believe this at QChange, and I know, Vanessa, you totally believe this, is that everybody can be a leader. It's not Absolutely. necessarily a, it's not a title. It's no. a decision of mindset. That's and right. I, I think if, if, if the quote unquote leaders in the organizations, the executive C-suite, go in with that mindset that everyone has ownership in this business, everybody is a leader, we need all of you to be on board. We need, we need to listen to all of you too. I think the collective good only happens when all the voices are brought to the room. And when that happens, magic occurs. But often, you know, we're in this transformation forcefully now where organizations need to listen to all the voices in the organization from the janitor to mid-level to the accountant. They all have a perspective and opinion. And when they feel valued and heard and are, have the ability to lead, in their own unique way, that's when magic really happens and that's when psychological safety occurs and then transformation happens and then growth accelerates. So that's really interesting, James, because what that, what that alerts us to, which is absolutely critical, 
is what are the skills and strategies and tools, mindsets and capabilities we need to be focusing on developing in our, in our, in our leaders who are going to be um, kind of the, the first people leading the charge around where we need to be so that they can not only diagnose where they're at in their own kind of experience and psychological safety, but also be able to understand where their people are at so that they, they can move them along. Um, yeah. And that's a very big part of this is the upskill around being able to, inverted commas, see so that we can heal and move, if that makes sense. Yeah, and, I, and, I'm, not, and I'm, I'm not obviously on the show to self-promote our business, but this is exactly what QChange does is it gives people to work on the skills that they need to work on to close that gap, but it brings their team into the fold to help them on that journey. And in the same note, their team is able to work on those gaps themselves. So it's a really win-win for an organization from that standpoint. Again, not to self-promote, sorry. Well, I, you know, but you're right what you're saying. And looks, I can see, um, and I'm gonna do a plug for you right now, because if we think about, you know, empathy right now, as a key differentiating skill of leaders who are going to successfully reintegrate uh, employees back into the workforce, then we need to make that a point of emphasis in the developmental pathway. Mm -hmm. Q-Change can totally evaluate in real time to provide feedback on empathy, for example, which yeah. is, has got to be one of the leading capabilities or, or, or even organisational level competencies uh, that people need to have to be able to, to shift to a positive psyche and move to creative full productivity as, full as, as, as quickly as possible. And so I think, you know, Josh, going back to the COVID world that we live in, when, when organisations start to open the doors and, and people start coming back and, and whatever mechanisms they have, I think the theme you're hearing Vanessa and I really speak to is that, that people need to feel safe, but they need to feel heard as well. Mm. And those two, those two pillars would go a long way to, to really speeding up, I think, um, uh, the organization in terms of not productivity in the traditional sense, but really just, I think, uh, I don't know the word I'm looking for here, but you know, the notion that when you, when you give someone psychological safety, but the fact they feel heard, it gives them mm -hmm. empowerment and empowerment is a really strong mechanism to drive an organization forward through these times. Well, that's also the importance of a company's culture and which is paramount for any organization to success. Will we see companies culture become a focus through or after this? And the, what, what guiding principles can you share that employers and also employees impact on their company culture? Look, I think it's so interesting, you know, the word culture is bandied around so much, but do people really understand what it means? And have they been focusing on the right things? So I'm gonna answer it in this way and saying, I think, you know, um, the impact of this global pandemic is forcing people to rethink their priorities about what to focus on as cultural enablers. And, you know, placing people and, and customers at the centre of everything we do uh, has become uh, very strongly emphasised through this whole uh, experience that we've been having. It's really interesting working in the high tech sector. So I work a lot in um, 
with some, um, some tech companies in Silicon Valley and how they've actually shifted from ruthless, hard-nosed, bottom-line metrics to the realisation that, oh, my God, if we keep pushing our people to focus on those things at this time, we're actually going to lose them. And then doing a complete 180 to we actually care about the lives and the health and well-being of our people. And we've recognised that this is where we need to focus. So it's really interesting. We've kind of, it's been incredible because it's, it's, it's re forced organisations to reprioritize their people, which before I believe was a lot of motherhood statement and not really a lot of soul and purposeful drive in the living of that value and focus. Whereas now they're being almost <laughs> vicariously forced into making people a priority, which it should have been in the first place. And looking at things like, you know, when we have a look at the COVID uh, situation, it is inspiring true leadership, which is about leading through influence and relationships versus authority. You know, when we think about the whole online culture, you don't have the same ways of influencing as you normally would. You know, you can't control what people do, are doing at home, even though initially I think leaders tried to by, you know, overloading their people with meetings just to feel like, well, that, that they had control over their lives and they were still getting a bang for their buck. We're re realising the limits of that control and the dangers and we can no longer work in that way. So I think, you know, what I'm really saying is reshifting the way we think about the type of culture that we need to have in our organisations and how we're going to lead to effect that has changed dramatically with an absolute focus on, on soul and purpose and people uh, and, and trust um, and building that psychological safety to James's point, point as well, but trust ultimately because we mm. can't lead in the same way. There's a whole bunch of research, like, like just, just piles of it that are being developed and, and written right now around whole systems, what we call an organization a whole system. One aspect that has been researched for 40 years is this idea called self-determination theory. And to really short and sharp describe it, this is where we're at right now from COVID. And, and self-determination theory is really predicated on three aspects, autonomy, mastery, and relationships. And, and what it really says is that when those three things are present, individuals are intrinsically motivated. Their needs are being met. So when they have a sense of autonomy, so working from home right now, right? When they have a sense of mastery, they're able to do their job without being stuck in 10 meetings back to back to back a day. And they're able to still connect with those around them that are most important inside the organization, outside. Their basic needs are being met, which means they're more intrinsically motivated to do their job at a higher level. And so often organizations, what Vanessa was talking about is the command control methodology, right? I'm a leader, I command you, I control you, do X, Y, and Z, and that's how they felt powerful. But what you're finding now in this new environment is that by giving away that power and giving empowerment mm. is allowing the leaders, the employees, which I still think are leaders, to thrive mm. in a much different environment. Now the question is, and I think this is the fundamental question we're talking about, 
is what happens as we come back into the organization. Mm -hmm. Do we maintain flex? People work from home two days a week, two days a week. Do we bring them back in and have full connection all the time? Do we go back to a meeting culture? I mean, these are some of the unknowns, I think, uh, at the moment. Well, that's a really great point because do you think people's bosses and colleagues will be more empathetic about our work life because we've seen so much impact through schools and childcare services being impacted and shut down. Uh, will our bosses have a refreshed level of appreciation for the ways family and friends are critical to the life and happiness of our work? I would say in addition to that, Josh, definitely. But I'd also say, and what I'm hoping to see is a refreshed view around flexible working conditions mm. and that people can still be successful and productive uh, working from home and having more choice around that. Uh, and I think that's what's really important. I mean, I, I worked with a, um, a company in the Eastern States uh, last year and was part of a, um, a group to introduce a four-day work week where we gave employees Wednesdays off. Now, at that time, when I went public on that, you know, a lot of people really criticised um, that move, even though I was able to show that productivity and, um, and sales and revenues actually tripled as a result wow. of that because we matched people's working days to circadian rhythms and productivity rhythms. So it made perfect sense from a psychological perspective, but people were unwilling, except for this organisation are awesome, to actually consider that as an option. I'm hoping that now um, less will be out of the question and that we flexed our minds around what high performance, high productivity uh, looks like and what we're prepared to actually give a go. That's what I'm hoping. Mm. I love that. There are so many great examples around organizations that do things different that have the same or better outcomes than those that do it, do it traditional way, whatever it means. Um, and so I love that. Uh, you, you can look to Germany or, or the Nordic countries. Most of those places don't work over 35 to, 30 to 40 hours a week. And yet they're equally as productive as, you know, Australia or the U S that work on average 45 to 50 hours a week. Well, why is that? Right. So I think there's something to what Vanessa is saying. I was going to say a tongue in cheek. I think as parents, we, we, if, if parents don't have an appreciation for the educators now, boy, we've missed the mark. <laughs> so like, you know, I think from a teacher perspective, we have a lot of, a lot of um, love for teachers and their jobs they got to do all day because every parent's homeschooling now. And it's like, what just happened? At least that's happening in our house. Um, I forgot the question, so I'm just going to shut up and Josh, you ask the next one. <laughs> <laughs> but could, could we see maybe office spaces improve when people do go back to work? Because employees at the moment have been forced to rethink how to work mm. and back in a cubicle. Does the employee need to make the biggest adjustment to ensuring that productivity doesn't subside? So could I, I'll give you my, my optimistic point of view but there's a, there's a realistic underlining. Uh, there's, again, not to be the, the, the nerdy scientist here, but there's a ton of research that, that talks about work environment, lighting, air, layout, yeah. all has a huge impact on organizations, right? Creating a layout where people have to interconnect while they're walking places, that fosters creativity and innovation. Talking about lighting, uh, natural light, that fosters your circadian rhythm to have a certain um, feel to it. But all of that stuff costs sometimes exponential amount of money. And that's always my concern is when it comes to human capital and spend, 
traditionally organizations just went with, well, it's going to cost too much. So we'll make the best of what we have. And um, I wish it wasn't that way. That's kind of the hard, the hard decision-making for some businesses, you know, for us, as we build out our place, I'm really cognizant of the work environment, not being static, not behind walls, not like creating and fostering community and connection and, and using as much natural uh, environmental cues as possible. But I do think that some organizations will, will do that uh, in a way to, to foster psychological safety and we keep beating that drum, but to give more uh, opportunities for the employees to feel, feel safe and trusted in the work environment. Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd reiterate that. I think that, you know, all of that and to say that that environment is absolutely critical to creating the type of workplace experience that we want to have and to continuing, I think, to, this is going to be the big thing, how do you stop people once everybody's back going back to old ways of working and being and leading and, and thinking? You know, I think the uh, I'm I'm interested to watch. You know, the flip the re, the revert back. How do we actually maintain all of the good stuff that's come from the learnings around yeah. where we're at right now, and not let those bad habits come back into play? So I think as leaders, we've got to be mindful of that and just going back to the way we were and not really evolving from this experience yeah we've probably clearly seen the speed of decisions have increased and your bureaucracy is reduced is there that fear that that will completely flip well i think it's human nature right to revert to time um you know it's you'll you know i'm hoping that we'll see more evolved leaders though who are are, are insightful and have been adequately illuminated by the current experience to go back and recognize that oh you know have the oh shit moment and say you know what the way i was being and doing before i've realized actually didn't serve me best or the people that i serve so i'm going to work hard to maintain so i think coaching is going to be important now more than ever to actually help people to stay the course in terms of the incredible work that they've done on themselves, their maintain their insights, and uh, and and get momentum from that continuity of that evolution that's taking place. So I think that's really important. Is that having that top of mind? Well, and I and I was thinking, you know, what was really what thought popped into my head. What will be really interesting will be the leaders that get it versus those that don't. Yes. And what happens in those organizations with the leaders that get it versus the organizations that don't. And I hope that somebody who has a lot of time and resources studies that because the, I, my, my, my bet, and I think Vanessa, you would agree, is that the organizations that get it are gonna come out of this thriving and growing at, a, at an exponential rate. Those that revert back to what they did before will be repeating the same thing again. I mean, it's the definition of insanity, right? Doing the same Groundhog thing again. again. Groundhog day, yeah. baby. Groundhog day. Yeah, yeah. So that to me is a really interesting fundamental question is to see the difference between the two and then what happens. Yeah, yeah, I agree. That's, gonna, that's a fascinating question. And I think I loved your piece too, James, around, you know, being more mindful and conscious about the environments that we're creating and creating spaces for casual collisions to occur you know, um, so that we can uh, really, really celebrate our connectedness, which is where the magic happens. 
James, have you seen some of, of recency of some leaders that people should probably be looking to or reading up on that have, have adjusted to COVID-19? Wow, that's a tough question. Yeah, it's just so in the moment that I think so many people are scrambling to figure out how long is this going to last? Mm. You know, like when this first started, I, I was in the camp of, oh, it's only the flu. It'll be fine. Like I totally was that guy who was like, this isn't going to be a big deal. It's only a flu. And then my whole entire mentality is flipped when, you know, I was scheduled to, you know, what your audience doesn't know is I currently live just outside Dubai and we were scheduled to move back to the States May 20th. Well, that's not happening now. So my whole entire world has been flipped upside down. I haven't had time to think about, you know, how am I leading? I'm trying to just get by. And if I'm a, you know, 10,000 person, you know, uh, company, I don't know what I'm, I'm thinking about. How am I going to get them the technical skills they need right now to work on Zoom? Mm -hmm. And what meeting tools do I need? What productivity tools do I need? I, again, I think the fundamental question to me is going to be is, I think those that get it now, who are evolving now, typically you don't know that you're evolving until you reflect. And so in three months from now, I think that's when you're gonna start seeing the signals of the leaders who really embrace this as the opportunity that it really is to do things different, to, to give more empowerment, more freedom, more choice making to their teams to do a better job to be, do a different job. I wouldn't say better or worse, to do a different job that fits the situation. But I don't think right now we know it. You know, I, and, and Vanessa, you might have, you have a better pulse on this from, from the Australian perspective, but um, I'm sure there are, just the who I don't know. Yeah, look, I've seen, I don't really want to name names on a live recording, um, but- <laughs> Do it, do it. Do it. Uh, come after we after me with a machete or my car will be blown up or something. But uh, <laughs> um, I have seen quite a number of examples of some extraordinary organizations uh, and leaders. And I'll tell you what they're doing. Here, let me articulate it this way. What they're doing that really stands out to me is twofold. One, they're managing the downside. And two, they're chasing the upswing at the same time. It's a simultaneous focus. And I love that. I think that that is uh, absolutely where we need to be focused on the two sides. And it's really interesting, particularly in business units within their entities that have potentially been heavily impacted more than others based on, you know, um, the COVID situation, they've redeployed their people into the upswing projects with a future focus in mind and really, really unlocking that creative adaptation, creative potential, building adaptive strategies, looking at those industries that have benefited from the current um, pandemic, learning from lessons from those and pivoting and um, redeflecting their workforce to focus on both sides of the coin. And that is so damn clever. So quick example, and I hope you won't kill me for sharing this one, um, but total doughhead moment on my part, talking to a very senior person at Uber the other day. And I said, well, you know, uh, you know, how are you guys going? And I'm thinking in my mind, you know, donut head, uh, Uber, you know, taxi transportation service and thinking, oh no, you guys must be really suffering. He goes, oh, we're actually, uh, you know, killing it. And I, and I said, oh, really? Not thinking 
about Uber Eats, of course. Duh. Mm. Don't say anything. And then he said, what we've simply done is we've pivoted our business and all the drivers are now delivering the eats. Yeah. So we're actually 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 able to meet demand. You know. That's fantastic. But how awesome, right? Yeah. Well, you know, I think in that example, the one phrase there that you said to me that's really important, whoever listens to this, I hope they, they take this on, is look for the examples of excellence in this moment and replicate those. Brilliant, yes. Because that, that to me is a sign of a brilliant observationist and leader. Because if you can find the examples of what's working in this environment and magnify that, you, you are making lemonade out of lemons at the moment. And that only helps your business, but it also helps the psychology of those around you to see that as an organization, you're not going to fall back and just try to retrench and, and you're going to have to solve some downside for sure. But looking for like that Uber example is fantastic. Hey, no one's going to be getting into our Ubers right now. How can we utilize uh, our resources to maximize the upside? Right. And, that, and that to me is brilliant at looking at the opportunities of excellence and then uh, expanding on those and magnifying them. Yeah, I love that. That's, and, and the other piece is, which is interesting, and I wish someone would do a study on this, just from a feminist perspective, of course, and I've got to throw this in, <laughs> uh, you know, healthy, uh, non-militant feminist that I am, uh, is, you know, looking at organisations and the practices of excellence that have helped them to thrive during this time, and um, who has led them from, a, is there a gender difference? in the organizations that have really, really done well versus those who maybe have been, you know, fast followers versus kind of curve jumpers. Um, I'd be really interested to see the, if there is any gender data around that. Do you, do you, do you think that, sorry, I was just making me think, do you think that women or men are more empathetic in these situations? From, well, your, from your perspective? Well, I, if we look at all the research, the research suggests that women are uniquely positioned to lead right now. Mm -hmm. But you know what? Proof is, proof is in the pudding, right? I'm, an, I'm a scientist so as well. So I would love someone. This is a call out, a challenge. I'm throwing down the gauntlet to any of you researchers. <laughs> How about you conduct a bit of a review and start collating data on the story around that? I'd love to know where we land. Please let me know. Yeah. What I think that this is kind of that that moment where sometimes women who who lead have some has a, have bad reputations of being too hard, too cold, too calculating, you know. Like I, you hear a lot of that, uh, not a lot. You've heard that in the past, but you also hear that there's a whole other cross section that are just really empathetic who can do both, right? So um, it's the kind of that juxtaposition. I'm I'm probably stereotyping here and making myself like a jerk, but not attempting to. But I think there's, there's both sides of that equation. And it'd be really interesting to your point to see the ones who lead with empathy, what they're getting out of it versus those that lead with kind of the traditional, you know, uh, hard ass, you know, being difficult, you know, highly demanding, but unempathetic. Probably what I'm trying to say. Yeah. And, and, and the leaders that, you know, and if we think about, you know, that incredible TED talk by Eve Mario, about how to simplify complexity from Boston Consulting Group. It's the most incredible TED talk ever. If anyone hasn't seen it, watch it. And he talks about the fundamental flawed logic in categorizing 
people and organizations into hard and soft. He's got a very strong French accent, the hard and the soft. He talks about, you know, the real great leadership is when the leader can actually get rid of the middle office between the hard and the soft and focus on the interplay, the interconnectedness to create true collaboration. And I think that's the word, collaboration. Do you think that, that, that uh, with collaborations also, I mean, tightly wound with accountability? I feel like the account, yeah, the accountability is what makes that possible in my head that leads to collaboration, but just a yeah. thought. Yeah, for sure. But I think, I think in this, in this, during this time, you know, really understanding ways in which, you know, you can simplify the complexity of this experience and bring yeah. it back to, a, you know, a shared and basic understanding of where we need to focus mm -hmm. uh, is really important. Awesome. Now, that's all the time we've got, but any last thoughts or tips that you'd like to pass on to anyone? I'll start with you, V. I think number one, really, at this time is self-care. Mm. So making sure that, you know, if we think about the pyramid of high performance and peak performance, we're really looking at making sure we're getting our exercise, we're eating well, we're not becoming, you know, obese couch potatoes is really not healthy doesn't create a thriving mindset. The second place is staying emotionally connected to stay emotionally healthy, which will enable you to minimize distractions and focus on what's important. And if you do still need to do your work, it'll give you that mental acuity during this time. And then finally, to focus on ways to actually focus on your spiritual. And what I mean by that is um, faith or gratitude or rituals that re-energize and create renewal uh, during this time to stay focused and enable you to keep going is really important. So meditation, mindfulness, um, practicing uh, acts of gratitude. And for those who do have faith, prayer, and, and continuing um, those aspects of spirituality or higher purpose that uh, re-energize us so that we can stay the course and when we, when life does go back to not normal, because we'll never, I'm not sure we'll ever be the same again, but to a place that we can relate, uh, we're actually able to um, do some great stuff and and be mentally uh, and psychologically healthy and also also physically health and well also. James, you know, I th I think if I was to to add to that, when you've accomplished the those those fantastic suggestions from Vanessa. You know, if, if you're not right with yourself, it's hard to be right with others. Mm. So, you know, try to get right with yourself in this moment. You, there is a lot of opportunity for you to do some reading right now, some, some self-reflecting, some growth opportunities. You know, do a gratitude journal. You know, I did this for a year. Every morning I wrote three things I was grateful for. Um, huge difference in my attitude in the day. Huge difference. Little things like that can go a long way. But kind of going back to the very beginning of the conversation, who can you reach out to? Who are you seeing that's retreating that you can pull out to have a connection? Because you really don't know in these moments who just needs that 10 or 15 minute talk conversation of someone who just cares and give them empathy and an ear to really help them thrive, to, to flip a switch, to let them know someone cares. From an organizational standpoint, I think flexibility, adaptability, and patience is what's needed right now as everyone's kind of trying to figure this out. The new norm, you know, will happen in the next probably, I would guess, 20 days, whatever that new norm is, meaning how do we work from home? How do we collaborate? All of those things. 
But I think as we move forward in the next six, 12 months, how can we keep what's working best right now as we move forward? And how can we magnify that? Because there's going to be a lot of positives that come out of this from a human capital perspective. And my hope is that we hold on to that and accelerate that inside organizations versus revert back to what was broken before. Because to do the same is going to get the same results. And I think there's an opportunity to do it different to get better results. And, and on that, James, um, I love that. Two books I just want to put out there that I've loved. So if it's, you know, inspiration for people. The first one is The Daily Stoic. So it's Meditations on Wisdom, Perseverance and the Art of Living by Ryan Holiday. So some great stuff in there by Seneca, Epictetus and Marcus Aurelius. I know that sounds heavy, but it's actually not. It's incredibly inspiring. <laughs> and then it's just the names. <laughs> the, the names sound heavy. <laughs> Marcus Aurelius. Yeah. And the second one that I've loved is Ikigai uh, by Hector Garcia and Francesco Miral. Um, the Japanese Secret to a Long and Happy Life, two books that I've absolutely enjoyed reading. I've put down my financial modeling books and I've taken these up and they are awesome. Um, and and I'll, I'll just throw out, by the way, my book. Um, if you go to the website, you can get a free digital copy. We're giving it away for free right now because it's really about adversity and leadership. Uh, and Vanessa is actually in the book as well. So you can get the book for free, digitally download it at the website and uh, it's yours. And Josh, you can put the website in the notes. I won't, I won't bastardize the process any longer. <laughs> That's okay. But thank you so much, Vanessa and James. Really appreciate it. To all our listeners, remember, rate, subscribe, review. We hope everyone out there is staying safe during this pandemic. But uh, Vanessa and James, thank you so much. <laughs> Absolute pleasure and an honour to be here. I hope we've provided some value and support and offered some nuggets of wisdom. Uh, I second that, especially the nugget. Not so much the wisdom. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, guys.